Welcome to Uniquely Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners share their unique stories to inspire our listeners. Welcome to Season 3 of Uniquely Small Biz by Selective Insurance, a podcast for small business owners to share their inspiring stories. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and we are so excited to be bringing you another round of insightful conversations with small business owners who are as unique as their ventures. Today, I'm happy to welcome Joshua Lance, Managing Director of the Lance CPA Group, a virtual certified public accounting firm built to help small business owners and entrepreneurs grow and manage their businesses. Josh joins me to share his story, discuss his exciting business, and share a bit of insight into what's driving his entrepreneurial spirit. So sit back and get ready. It's time for another wonderful episode of Uniquely Small Biz, brought to you by Selective Insurance. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, of course. So I was reading in your backstory as I was doing a little bit of research on you before our conversation that you started out at a very young age with that sort of entrepreneur attitude yeah. uh, with a lemonade stand and some other things. So will you tell me a little bit about how that all came to be and what you did as a kid? Yes, I've always kind of had a entrepreneurial bug in my system. You know, I first started, like a lot of kids, we do lemonade stands, right? Um, and then in college, I decided to, this is before the Ubers and Lyfts of the world at that time, kids needed to get you know, from college to the airport and needed transportation. And so um, I live in the air and so I'll start a little business doing that. So you know, during winter breaks or holidays or anytime kids need to go, you know, fly back home from school, I had a service. People would call me up, text me. I would go and drive and, and take them to the airport and back. And it was just these little things of like, hey, I think I see a need in the market or I see a need that's out there. Um, and I really wanted to see if I can make something work out of that. So you know, those are really kind of my two first really forays into kind of doing my own thing and being an entrepreneur, but I've always kind of had that in my system since a young age. It's really interesting. A lot of kids will sell lemonade at a stand. You know, I was a Girl Scout, went door to door selling Girl Scout cookies, but not everybody holds on to that drive. Were you inspired by somebody or did that just come naturally to you? I would say it probably came naturally to me. I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. So it wasn't like there's was people I looked up to who were building businesses or doing things like that. I was just always interested in business, always interested in how things worked and how you could build a business. As a kid, you know, my parents would make fun because we'd get the newspaper every day and I would read the business section of the newspaper. And you really were reading it. You weren't pretending, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, 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 right, yeah. And, and so I always had an inclination of trying to understand business and, and see how things work. And so it was really a natural drive to do that. I've always been a very driven person. So being able to say, hey, can I do this thing that seems hard and see if it works or not? And um, that's always been a driving factor for me. I have to wonder what your parents were thinking when you were a young kid and they're having coffee and you're all fighting over, you're sitting at the breakfast table, you're all fighting over the business section. They're like, what's Josh doing? Why? You know, I mean, now it must make sense to them now, but still even looking back, they have to be like, wow, that was kind of a trip having our kid read the business section. Yeah. The show Family Ties, right? That Alex Oh my gosh. I love that. They always call me their little Alex Bikini because I would have the business, you You know, I had had a shirt with a tie and, and that was just what I did. I mean, is it fair to say that that character of Alex P. Keaton had a little bit to do with who you are today. Maybe. Yeah. Watching him on TV with his shirt, with his tie. And (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's pretty awesome if that's true. But the fact that you had that entrepreneurial sort of, uh, 
those thoughts in your brain. Mm -hmm. You were on the other side of it. How can I make money from this? How can I turn this into something that would be profitable for me? How could I turn this into a business that essentially you're running yourself? Mm -hmm. That also says a lot about your character that you were even thinking that way. Yeah, I think for me, it was like, okay, I saw a need. And so it was just like those little things like, hey, can I do something a little different? Make it a little bit better experience. Try something different that would allow that business to happen or to see if people would even want that. It's crazy because you were kind of the Uber before there was an Uber, right? I know, yeah. The beauty of your model is that you were keeping all that money. There wasn't like you were having to pay some to some corporation. You just pocketed That's it right. all. That's right. Yeah. That was, there was the, there was the pre-Uber Uber there. That, that was totally Exactly. Yeah. So you you obviously are the owner of Lance CPA. So what makes Lance CPA unique from other firms? When I started Lance CPA Group, it was really on the mindset of, I think there's a better way to run an accounting firm. There's a better way to engage with your clients, a better way to use technology. And so, um, you know, I really built the firm to be fully virtual from the get-go. At my old firm, I was on the road 70% of the time, and I didn't want that. I wanted to be at home with my family. And so how could I create a business that allowed me to be home with my family and work from home and serve clients where they're at and, and kind of figure that out? And so the firm was kind of built in that mindset of, Let's make the firm that I would want to work in. Let's build a firm that looks like that and see if it works. We're using all cloud-based technology. We specialize with working with craft breweries, right? Early on in niche and said, I'm going to work with this one client base and one client base only. Just because I knew if I get in with that client base, if I could understand that industry, if I could really kind of show expertise, then I would have clients coming to us, right? That was my guess as to how that would work. Um, which was proven out to be correct. And we've been able to build a firm where we've hired a lot of the people who are our firm where we're stay-at-home parents looking to get back in the workforce and they wanted a flexible work arrangement. They wanted a place where they could be at home and be there for their kids when they got home from school, but still work and do the things they love to do. And when you think of CPA firms, sometimes it's a non-creative industry or, or it seems pretty old school or very like it's set in its ways, but there's a lot of creativity you can do as far as how you manage that business and uh, that practice and how you build it and trying things out that may work or may not work. And so that was kind of the premise when I started Lance CPA Group was to do that, is to, to create a firm that I really wanted to work in that people had a good job at and would enjoy the work that they do and had the flexibility that they wanted and being work with an industry that I, I enjoyed. And so and we were able to build a pretty successful business off of that. I feel like you have a lot of little rolls of the dice, right? You take a lot of chances in small ways, but it's working for you, right? And I also love the idea of, it's sort of that concept of, well, I grew up watching my parents and now that I'm a parent, here's what I like what my parents did. Here's what I would change if I were a parent. And you sort of did that with this previous firm that you worked for or worked at before you started your own firm. So now that you've had that experience, it's like you can come start your own firm and say, well, I like this about that firm I work for, but I didn't like this. Here's what I would have done. And now you actually have control and can do that, which is really cool. Well, it's also to be able to test that idea out, right? Maybe my idea was wrong, right? Maybe the firm knew better and they've tried that out and it didn't work. And I think with any entrepreneurial venture, it's you are taking some of those minor risks. You're rolling the dice a little bit and saying, let's see what happens when we try this and see if it works or not. And, and being okay if it doesn't work. And we've tried things out where it's like, ah, that didn't really work. Let's try something else. But having that ability to continually take those little risks allows you to build a better business as a result. 
That's so powerful, though, being able to say that you're willing to accept that something doesn't work and treat it as a learning experience instead of a failure, right? Not everything's going to work. And your attitude has so much to do with how you handle those non-successes, right? It's how you handle it going forward. And it sounds like you're very grounded about that. It's the realization, too, that, I mean, that entrepreneurial journey is going to have twists and turns, right? Even if the thing I want to do works out great, there could be other factors that cause it not to work out later on or whatever it may be, right? And so not holding everything too tightly and being like, all right, let's hold a little loosely. Let's figure things out and let's enjoy it too, right? Part of the fun of building a business is to take those risks and to take those, make those decisions as to how you want to run your business and what you think is best and what you think is best for your employees and best for your clients and making those decisions and seeing how that plays out. I can only imagine what it's like to interview with you for a job and have you say, well, you can work at home and you're totally allowed to have a flexible schedule and I trust you and whatever you want to do, as long as you get the job done, I'd be like, this guy's too good to be true. (laughs) It's awesome. From an employee standpoint, I'm sure working for Lance CPA Group is very attractive at what you offer with the flexibility for your employees that you sort of have this trust. There is that trust and it it doesn't work for everybody, right? Some people want that, like I need to be in an office or I need someone to actively micromanage me because that's how I work best. So it's not going to be perfect for everybody, but you know, for the right people, it works. Again, it's not for everybody. Not everybody thrives in that situation. Not everyone thrives in working remotely, but for those that do, it works out really well. And we've had people be at our firm for a really long time because it works out well for them and it, it kind of fits exactly what they wanted in a job. What's that like from a managerial standpoint to have employees in other states? When you're a smaller business, you're not a big corporation. Well, that's fine if you're a big corporation. But when you're a smaller business like you are, what is that like when you have employees in different time zones? It's a lot of intentionality. Working virtually, working remotely, having people spread across the country involves just a lot of intentionality on what we're doing, whether that is how we communicate with each other, how we do meetings with each other, how we do check-in, the whole process of how we engage that person into our culture, into our business is all stem from intentionality of what we do. So one of the things that we've done in our firm since day one was we have a weekly team meeting at one o'clock on Wednesdays and everyone gets on their video cameras and we all talk about what's going on in the business and we check in with each other and make sure everyone's doing good. But that became a really important part of our culture because people came to them and were heard and seen and they didn't feel like they're up on an island just doing some work and no one really cared. One of our, our first core value of our firm is the, the core value of caring because we know if we don't care for each other and care for ourselves, we're not going to be able to care for our clients. And that really takes a lot of intentionality there. And I really like the idea of you guys getting together and having a collaborative meeting to kick off the week, because I think, especially we've learned this post-pandemic, that working on your own can be very isolating too. You want people to care about your company from your standpoint as the president of the company. And when you have employees that might feel isolated, feel like they're not on the team because they're not in an office with you every day, it's almost like you have to work even harder to make them feel like, no, we are a team. I care about you tremendously, just as much as whether you're in California or Texas or wherever, as if you were in the office with me every day. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, I, and when we interview people, when people first get onboarded, it's that same conversation that gets played over and over again is we really care about who you are and what you're doing. And if you're ever, you are feeling like you're on an island or feeling isolated, right? That's not what we're intending here. And being able to have that ability to, to kind of talk about that and, and do things again, again, gets back to kind of the core values and, and how we live those out. But having that intentionality of, okay, yeah, I know you're over there across the country from where I am, but 
doesn't mean I'm not going to check in on you on a regular basis and that we're not going to talk and make sure everything's okay and making sure that you're seen and heard and you're not feeling isolated. Because the moment you feel isolated is the moment you're going to start looking for that next job and that's not going to work out, right? And so we do things like do in-person retreats a couple times a year where we fly everyone to one location, right? So we can be together in community and see each other and see each other in person. And, and that's a really important part of having a virtual remote environment that we do have is there is a time that where people need to get in person to, with each other. And so that becomes important in how we do our operations and, and make sure people don't feel isolated as well. So it's, there's just a lot of that crafting of how we are intentional about how we interact with each other, intentional about how we communicate with each other, just to ensure that people feel seen and heard and they feel like they're an important part of the team. You guys have a couple of markets that you specialize in, from what I understand. Microbreweries, you alluded to that earlier. So that's one of them. And the other one is digital agencies. I mean, microbreweries, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take a guess <laughs> that you love beer. Yeah. Uh, if that's not true, please correct me. But, but how did you end up in those spaces? So the craft brewery side, when I started the firm, I knew I wanted to focus on craft breweries. I was a home brewer home winemaker. So I kind of knew in the industry, I, I liked enjoying the process of making. That's why I chose that industry from the, the get-go. The digital agency one came to us a few years after we started. And that primarily came from, we went through a whole rebranding process of our firm and thinking about brand for a CPA firm. And as we did that and put ourselves out with our new brand and in the marketplace, we just started attracting a lot of agencies because they saw that we actually cared about what they did, right? We cared enough that we actually went through that process ourselves, that they saw that. And so that was an attraction there. But I think for both of those industries, the people who run those businesses are super creative people. The actual owners, the people we're working with, they're very similar in nature. One creates websites and builds apps and their one creates beer and sells that, but they're both very similar in who they are. And so... It works really well for us to uh, have in those two industries, even though they may seem kind of far apart. They're actually, when you think about the ownership and who we actually work with on a day-to-day -day basis, they're actually pretty close together. Do your customers ever worry about the fact that you might be doing the accounting or the CPA work for their competition? Is that ever an issue that comes up? No, especially like on the brewery side of things. I thought that would be more of an issue there, but that's a really collaborative industry. And, and most of the owners, they know each other. They've worked with each other at other breweries before opening their own shops. They're really open to that, right? And they actually appreciate that. It's like you work with all these breweries, right? You're seeing what works and what doesn't. You're being able to learn from that and, and help us out and advise us as a result. And so they don't really mind that at all. We, I mean, we do an annual bench marketing survey for our client base and other breweries we know that we invite into and we share data anonymously, but it's still your data going into that, right? And we asked our breweries, hey, do you want to participate or not before we do this? And they always say, yeah, like I want to know how I'm doing. And that helps, right? That helps them become a better brewery if they see they're struggling in different areas. And that's been really good because everyone's pretty collaborative. It's pretty tightly knit from that standpoint. I would say from the brewery side, we've never had anyone say, well, if you work with this client, you can't work with us. They're all like, oh yeah, no, this totally makes sense. Yeah, of course you would work with a lot of breweries. Like, that's actually pretty good. That's better for us that you do. I would think it would be kind of a brotherhood in a way where it's like, hey, we're all in this together. But also the neat thing about you specializing in these markets is that you sort of become an extension of their company or their brand. You talk this talk so often with digital agencies and with microbreweries that you know their business. You're not just looking at their numbers. So you can really get into the weeds with them and help them out in, in more ways than a typical accountant just walking in blind could do. Exactly. That's a big reason why those clients are attracted because they want that, right? They've had the accounting that they work with every business. They know general accounting. 
but they don't know the industry. And you get in the industry is like a, a craft brewery, which is a very complex industry. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving pieces. You have a food manufacturer usually lopped on with a retail establishment and then has some supply chain you have to manage, right? And so there's a lot of things going on there that are just atypical for a normal business, but it's unique to that industry. They want that deep expertise, uh, especially as they're trying to figure out how to best run their brewery, how to grow, how to do the things they want to do, right? They want someone who knows that industry as much or as even better than they do, because that only benefits them. That's been really helpful for us. We've been able to have really deep relationships within the industry, talk at their conferences, be there, right? And, and people know who we are as a result. And that allows us to really advise our breweries a lot better, help them make better decisions, help guide them in the right direction that they should go because of our kind of industry expertise and where we sit as we work with these breweries across the country. How do you market to them? Are they word of mouth like, hey, do you know a good accountant? Oh, I've got a great guy. Or do you find yourself having to go market to them? It's a little bit of both. I think because we we're not centrally located anywhere, right? We're not in one geography. There is a bit of market element that we have to do just to get awareness out there. A lot of that, what we've done internally was around inbound marketing strategies, blog posts, social media, webinars, doing as much content creation as we can to get out there and to get our name out there, which allows us to then opens up doors to speak at conferences, allows us to get connections there. But then there's also the word of mouth component of we do really well for one a brewery of ours. They're going to tell their friends too, because they're asking, like, hey, who do you use for an account? Our account isn't doing a great, oh, I know a really great accountant. Um, you should talk to them. And there's that word of mouth in that bill. I think we kind of have both of those things working for us. You know, it works really well because we're getting clients across the country that we wouldn't be able to get if we hadn't have done that a marketing strategy. But then we're also getting that word of mouth that's happening that once we, hey, we did a really good job of that one client in, in Denver. Now they're referring us to other breweries there as well. That starts to kind of create this ripple effect that happens. Yeah. And then so much for the question that I had asked earlier about, is there a competition issue between these breweries that they don't want to share information? Now it's almost the opposite that they're saying, no, I have this guy. He's great. He knows our industry. Let me connect you with him. He'll make your life easier and take over for you when it comes to your accounting and your taxes and all that stuff. So that's really nice for them. And you. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's worked out really well for us as we've grown the business to have those things working in our favor, really allowed us to get the right clients in the door, even be selective with breweries and agencies we bring in that, that we're not bringing clients that aren't going to be the right fit or, you know, we clash with the owners or whatever that may be. Right. So we can really get the right client in our door that fits us and allows us to do the best work we can. Do you have other clients outside of these two markets outside of digital agencies and outside of microbreweries, or do you pretty much just do those two? We pretty much just those, do those two. There are some that are outside there, but usually it's because their brother owns a brewery and they have a business and can help out my brother or whoever. So there's some relation or something that kind of got them hooked into our orbit a bit. But generally, yeah, it's just breweries and agencies. We found that just even in how we operate, the process and procedures and how we do the work for our clients in those industries because we're just focused on those two allows us to standardize a lot of things and be very specific on how we do the work we do. If we're working a lot of different industries outside that, then it clouds our efforts a bit. And so that's been super helpful. And we've been pretty diligent about making sure that's the case, right? So we still get people come to us, even though our website says we work with craft brewers and digital agencies that are not that, but we'll turn them down and say, we're not the best fit for you, right? We don't know your industry. We don't know how to best serve you. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to bring you on as a result. 
That's awesome. How great is that? It's such a good problem to have. We'd love to expand, but we really just don't need to. (laughs) And you're honest with them too, which is wonderful. Also, I'm sure they appreciate that. If somebody said to me, XYZ, I'm not the best fit for your business and here's why, I would respect that so much. And that would actually make me want to refer a friend to you if I did meet somebody who was digital agency or microbrewery owner, because you're obviously an honest guy. And that speaks volumes. We pride ourselves on that industry expertise that we have. So the work on a business that we have no industry expertise on, right? We can't even do our best work and we know that. And so instead of taking them on and just trying and figure it out, let's let's be specific about who we're trying to work with because we're just going to be much better at what we do if we do it that way. Talk to me about onboarding new employees. I know we talked about that a little bit earlier, interacting with your team. I know you guys have Zoom calls probably and video meetings, but when you're onboarding somebody, is that all done via Zoom for the most part? It is. Yeah. We're doing it all via video calls and it's pretty scheduled out. So the first few weeks is pretty scheduled as to what happens each day. Right. So we don't want that new employee to only work with one person and get kind of zoom fatigued from just interacting with that one person all day long. There's kind of a schedule of what a new hire goes through on who they meet and uh, the different training times and what happens on what days. And so it's pretty laid out for the first couple of weeks to the hour to what that person's going to do. But we kind of, as we talk and we kind of bring them on board, there's the process of doing that. It's really to get them to meet people on our team, to learn everything that we're doing and to get comfortable with how we work before we start actually putting you with a client. We really kind of try to ease them into client work and their work along with their buddy in the firm who we set up with them, who as someone at their same level who's been here for a while and just so they can get familiar and ask questions. They may feel like, I want to ask my boss the questions kind of dumb, but I'll ask you because- You're a peer, yeah. You're a peer, right? <laughs> it just kind of gets them up and running. Again, very intentional process on how they get onboarded. Because before it was a little bit more haphazard. We try to get people to come and meet us in person, but if they weren't super close to us, that became a little bit more difficult. And so we really came up with a process that really take the first few weeks, let's just really kind of get you in the rhythms of our business and really have a good understanding of what's going on. And then we'll start to introduce you and have you work with some clients, but we'll build that up so you're not too overwhelmed right off the bat. I'm trying to train someone virtually is not easy to do. So we have to be really cognizant of how we do it. So we make sure they understand what's going on. They're not getting fatigued by the process and that they're learning what they should be learning. Yeah, I would imagine having a process in place like that. And as I'm listening to you talk about it, I mean, you have your ducks in a row. I just feel like it's like one of these, right? You've got everything. First, you're going to meet with this person. Then I'm going to put you in touch with this person. Then you're going to talk to this person, which is so smart. I'm a planner at heart as well. So I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, this guy has it so dialed in. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's it's such yeah. a huge benefit to you to do it that way. It is. Yeah. And, I, and again, came from learning and doing things the wrong way for a while, but kind of figuring out, okay, what's the right way to do this? Let's eventually, let's get this the, the way we want it. And so it's taken some iteration over time, but we've gotten a place where it works really well for us. So what's next for you guys? I mean, you're already kind of spread all over the country. Like what, it, what do you, when you think your five-year, 10-year, 15, 20-year plan, like what do you see? What do you want? We all really enjoy what we're doing. My partner and I talk about this regularly of being clear about enjoying the work we're doing. And if we're not, we need to either change something or we need to get out. We have a lot of clarity around that. We love to continue to grow the business. We've been growing at a 30 to 40% clip every year. The plan is to continue that same growth trajectory in the future and, and stick with what industries we know. There's 9,000 breweries out there. We work with over 100. 
there's a lot we don't work with. There's a lot, there's a lot of clients yeah. still to, to You get have there. some room for growth. I got some room for growth, right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of opportunity there. It's also fun to have, you know, as we've grown here to provide opportunity to our employees. So we've had employees who started with us as a staff and have really moved their way up the company. We've rolled out an employee ownership plan with our company. So we now have two of our employees who have ownership in the company as well. And so that's been fun to have them a part of that process and to reap some of the fruits of the labor from that as well. But the plan is to keep the, the grow this. And at some point in the future, you sell the business or merge it in with something else. But for now, we're having a lot of fun and, and we're going to continue to have that fun. That's what it's all about right there. Josh, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for having me on. With us now to discuss some of the resources available for accounting firms and small businesses to utilize is Brad Wilson, AVP of Small Business Development and Analysis at Selective Insurance. Welcome, Brad. So, Brad, I want to start by asking you, you know, Josh shared that he has had sort of an entrepreneurial spirit since childhood. So in your opinion, as a small business expert, do you find that entrepreneurs are born or are they made or could it be a little bit of a mix of both? Yeah, I'm going to take option C. I I think it's a mix of both. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I grew up just as a little bit of background, my dad was a small business owner. I had other people in my family who owned small businesses. And today I'm actually married to a small business owner, to an entrepreneur. So my wife has a photography business. And so I've, I've seen it throughout my life on a personal level, but now also professionally. And I do think it's both. Uh, clearly, you do see those examples where someone has characteristics that maybe they're born with or they're more predisposed to that lend them toward being an entrepreneur, right? Things like being creative and problem-solving, driven, self-motivated. Those are things that we would commonly see uh, exemplified by successful entrepreneurs. But I do also think that they can be made. And we did hear that come through in the conversation with Josh as well, just in terms of how he learned over time and he was able to adapt. And so I think it's really critical for entrepreneurs, especially those who are the successful entrepreneurs, that they have that ability to grow, to adapt, to learn, and also surround themselves with people as their business grows who can complement their skill set and really help them drive that growth and success within their business. Yeah, I mean, I think all parts are good, right? So you take a little bit of each and then ideally having that mix of both is a win-win for sure. In terms of a small business being a generalist versus a specialist, Josh's strategy is being a specialist by finding gaps in the market and filling them specifically with microbreweries and with digital agencies. So what are the benefits and the risks of this approach in a service industry? Yeah, so I'm glad we get to talk about both the benefits and the risks because there's there's clearly both. And so when I think about a more specialized business, And this came through very clearly as Josh talked about the value that he and his team bring to their customers. But there's really a level of expertise that they have in those target industries that'd be really tough to match. And I would argue probably couldn't be matched by a more generalist CPA firm, right? It's things like Mm -hmm. the benchmarking that they're able to do and saying, hey, microbrewery XYZ. This is how you're performing compared to others in your industry. And here's some things that we see as experts 
in the financial and accounting industry about how you're running your business. Here's some things you're doing really well, and maybe here's some areas of opportunity for you to do better. And, and Josh, I think, and his team clearly bring that to the table when he talked about managing things like and understanding the risks related to cost of goods sold and supply chain and how a microbrewery manufactures and distributes their products. So in my view, clearly that that level of expertise is something that a specialist is going to bring to the table. Whether you're a generalist or a specialist, I do think having that strategic clarity is really important. And you referred to that, Carol. And when you think about how a business is going to deliver value for their customers, they must first understand who their customers are, right? They're, they need to understand how to bring their product or service to the market. And I think Josh has done a really great job setting up his business in such a way that he's attracting the right team to be able to bring that expertise. He set up the firm in such a way that it would be like a firm that he wanted to work at, right? He built it based on his experience mm -hmm. and the things that he learned. And so bringing that team to the table, but then also being virtual, I think allows them to access those microbreweries or those ad agencies in different markets that they might not have access to if they were a more traditional brick and mortar CPA firm and, and more serving a local community. So those are some of the benefits that I see related to a specialized strategy. Uh, on the risk side, by being specialized, I think by definition, you are more concentrated. Mm -hmm. And so there is there could be some level of risk associated with that. If there's a major change in that particular industry that you serve, whether it's regulatory or a change in customer buying behaviors, or, or maybe just even the emergence of new threats or new competitors that disrupt that industry, you could be more susceptible to that. And so I, I just think of, it's an extreme example, but I suspect it probably wouldn't have been a good business to be in serving microbreweries as a CPA if we were 100 years earlier during the Prohibition era, right? And so it's, again, an extreme yeah, example, but yeah. there could be those, those unique risks or industry-specific challenges that, it, that you might experience as a small business owner if you're just focused on one particular part of the market. I feel like microbreweries, that market is so highly regulated, right? So if you're Josh, I mean, does he need special insurance for being in a market like that? Yeah. So, and this is where I tie back to Selective and how we distribute our products through independent agents. We're big believers in the independent agency channel. And just like Josh brings mm -hmm that accounting and finance expertise to his customers. We work with independent agents every day who have the expertise to bring insurance knowledge and relationships with carriers to their customers. And so I think that's absolutely critical when it comes to managing a small business owner's risk is having that consultant that you can work alongside to understand your specific situation if you're in a more regulated industry, you may need something like professional liability coverage, or if you're serving a more regulated industry, there could be insurance requirements that are in place and related to that. And an independent agent is going to be the type of person who can sit down, talk to you and understand those risks and bring the expertise to help you make the most informed decision for your business and protect against those risks. Speaking of risks, you know, I felt like Josh took a lot of small risks in an effort to build and sort of like improve his business. So how can small business yeah. owners sort of turn those risks and those potential failures into positive business outcomes? Yeah, it's a great question. And working in the insurance industry and for myself personally, coming from a background in finance and investments, 
I tend to think a lot about risk and sizing risk and if you're getting appropriately compensated for taking risk. And, and it also resonated with me what Josh was talking about when when he talked about hold planning, but kind of holding his plans loosely. He, he it, There was really a sense of being willing to be wrong and adapt if conditions change. And obviously, it takes a level of self-confidence and belief that you, you can be successful as you're executing your strategy. But there's so many unknowns in business uh, that you need to have that level of, of adaptability and do it in such a way that, you know, clearly he's not betting the ranch on any particular move. He's taking, you, you mentioned it, smaller risks. So he's able to adapt and mm-hmm. learn as he goes and use that as a way to either improve his business if it's successful and he's able to execute it successfully. And if not, you can learn from it and, and pivot as needed and, and go from there. So I think that resilience that ability to be willing to try and fail and recover and continue mm-hmm. to move forward is something that, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, just that the characteristics that we commonly see in entrepreneurs, I think those things are really critical. I think it's fun to, you know, in the case of success, watch these business owners that start from literally nothing. They just have a dream or an idea mm-hmm. to watch them sort of navigate to find out what that best path is for him and his his area of expertise is so specific, right? And to watch him kind of navigate yeah, through right. that is pretty awesome to see him having the success that he's having. Yeah, it, it's right. And and I know he tied in his passion to it and his interests, right? So it's another thing that, again, I've, I've seen it both personally and professionally. When someone's doing something that they love, they're they're working hard, they're building something, there's a real level of personal satisfaction and reward that comes from that. And it's great to see entrepreneurs being successful in building their businesses. And it's something that excites me in my job every day is thinking about how we can best serve both our agents and our small business customers and make sure that they have the protection in place to cover those risks that fall outside of their, you know, the the normal business risk that they're taking on a day-to-day business. We want to be there to help them mitigate risk, prevent risk, but also if something does happen, get them back on their feet and able to continue to serve their customers. Would you say that there are any sort of unique risks to consider for small businesses that are primarily virtual, like Lance CPA, because they do a lot of their stuff virtually? So um, what are some of those unique risks? Yeah, there's a couple that come immediately to mind. I would I would go back to our earlier commentary too around the importance of an agent, right? And just really understanding the, yeah. the needs of a specific business. Generally, we we hear more and more about cyber risk. That's not unique to virtual businesses. Virtually all types of businesses face cyber risk, but it's it, it is an, a risk mm-hmm. that's present for a virtual business. The other thing that comes to mind is just having workers in different states, and there could be different state regulations related to insurance that, again, that independent agent can help you work through and make sure that you're protecting your employees, protecting your business, and really set up for success. That is super exciting. Thank you so much, Brad. Well, that's all the time we have today. I want to say thanks again to today's guest, Josh Lance from Lance CPA Group and Brad Wilson from Selective. And thank you, the listener, for pressing play on this episode of Uniquely Small Biz. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review in the podcast store. And tune in next month for more inspiring stories from real small business owners. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and this has been Uniquely Small Biz from Selective Insurance. (music) 